I still remember the day that I first learned something of Jesus that seemed like it had been kept a secret from me and from all those that I knew. It was in 1974, and I was a college English student in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I had recently moved uh, emotionally and theologically, even if not yet with my membership, away from the Methodism of my raising. I was hanging out at college on campus with a few of the Baha'is, reading a lot of Nietzsche and a lot of 19th century American writers. In my textbook, I encountered the works of William Ellery Channing and Ralph Waldo Emerson and Theodore Parker and Longfellow and and many more. And I kept encountering in their bios this word Unitarian. Now, I had grown up in the town where I live now, again, Turley, Oklahoma, and it's just eight miles north on the very same street from where one of the largest Unitarian churches in the world even back in 1974, was located. But the word Unitarian was a secret to me too. So I decided to write a term paper on these writers' religions as a way of finding out more about it myself. And so I spent one day, most of one day, in the college library reading and reading what these and other early Unitarian Christians had to say about Jesus and God, the Bible, church and social justice. I came out of the library into the dark of that evening and into the light, it seemed, of being a Unitarian. And having been raised with church in my blood, I promptly then went to the yellow pages to find my local Unitarian church. Surely, there along with all the other churches it would be in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, I didn't find one. And I wonder, how could that be? It was all through the pages of my textbook. Years later, actually, when I returned to Tahlequah to teach at that college and raise a family and to to start a Unitarian Universalist congregation there, I discovered why the library had such an extensive, and it was an amazing, extensive collection on Unitarian Universalism, mostly Unitarianism. One of the librarians there, and one whom my wife had actually worked as a student for a few years, had been a Unitarian. Now, he hadn't planted a new church while he was there, and and it would have been wonderful for me and for our community if he had. But he had at least done something to sow some seeds, or replanting the seeds in some way sown by Channing and the others. And in doing so, he led out to me and to all those who could find it in the library, a secret about Jesus, that you don't have to only see him as the creeds see him, to follow him, to be moved by him, to be changed by him. When we did start the UU Church in Tahlequah in that first meeting in our living room, by the way, one of the original eight that showed up was the widow of that librarian. And yet, and yet, when I read books by people like Brian McLaren of the New Emergent, More Liberal Evangelicals, or the best-selling works by progressives like Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan and John Shelby Spong, I hope some of these names are familiar to you, 
I do wonder, why is all this still a secret? Why is it still so new to so many? Unitarians and Universalists, I say, were the original progressive Christians, at least of the modern age. So why are we most prominently in textbooks and not the yellow pages? Why did we keep the secret to ourselves? And why are we continuing to do so? As one of my colleagues said, himself not a Unitarian Universalist Christian, but a a lover of all things from the Jesus Seminar, why was the Jesus Seminar necessary since the Unitarian Universalists had been here for so long? There are, as I said, so many wonderful new DVD curriculums out now exploring all the new work by biblical scholars, by like uh, uh, all those I mentioned and Brandon Scott. But they aren't coming from us. We who are on the cutting edge of all things Jesus are now playing catch up. Well, I'll give my answer to some of those questions near the end of the sermon. But now I want to get down to what I see as the heart of the message of Jesus itself. Because getting that wrong might have something to do with why it's still considered a secret. When I was growing up as a Methodist and for years as a Unitarian, when I would hear sermons about Jesus, I rarely heard much about the parables. It was all, whether pro or con or who knows, about the birth, death, resurrection, and the miracles. Those parables, the ones like the prodigal son and the so-called Good Samaritan, those images that adorn stained glass windows of so many churches, including our historic Unitarian Universalist Christian churches, they were all about conventional wisdom and morality tales of being good even when it's hard to do so. Or like the mustard seed, they were seen as allegories of the church. You got their lessons in Sunday school And then we're supposed to not need them again. And we didn't ever hear much of anything about something called leaven. But today the parables are seen as the key to Jesus' message, his ministry and his mission. The root of the word parable, by the way, means something thrown beside something else, a comparison. Most of the parables are a way to compare Uh, uh, what Jesus saw as God's empire with Caesar's empire. But I think they can also be thrown beside Jesus' life, his actions and his choices. We know next to nothing about the facts of Jesus' life, but the parables, which are considered to be among the most authentic of the sayings of Jesus, can reveal to us why he did what he seemed to do. Why he was considered too dangerous to live. What he was trying to show with his life. And those I'll take over obituary-like facts any day. See, the parables show us that before Jesus was considered to be the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, he first anointed, Christed, the world especially those parts of it and those people who were treated as objects and scorned. He showed people the image of God, not like the dominant images of divinity and strength and beauty and intelligence, like the statues that were everywhere of Alexander the Great or of King David's stories or 
Caesar. But he showed him in the images of the poor and the powerless and the sick, in the image of persistent women and foreigners and, heavens forbid, foreign women, in the image of illegal and wild mustard, in unholy leaven, in emptiness and loss, undisciplined and shamed fathers and sons, and respectable feasts thrown for unrespectable folks. And in living where he did and how he did, living as if this world of the parables was the real world, in a time of great scarcity of limited goods, we saw an example of that still today, risking all in the spirit of abundance and generosity. In all this, he showed the possibilities of the real power that came, as Brandon Scott wrote, from following a reimagined God, one that calls us to reimagined lives, reimagined work, reimagined church. Caesar's world, then and now, doesn't see God's ultimate values, or as we might want to say, wouldn't see the American dream in those ways of Jesus. But Jesus reimagines the world as if the Caesars were not in charge. Today, think of the Caesars as our striving for affluence, appearance, achievement, addiction, as influence, uh, coolness, as consumption, fear and feelings of scarcity, or as simply convenience. And think of it as if they were not in charge. When I hear the parables of Jesus talk about a so-called kingdom of God, I think today he would be instead saying, look, here is what God's Black Friday at the shopping mall is like, or God's Cyber Monday, I guess, which is tomorrow. Here God's Nielsen ratings, all these things that seem to matter so much to us. Here God's gross national product. Here God's homeland security. Here God's Ph.D., here God's McMansions, and perhaps most of all, here is what a reimagined, he might say, God's church would look like, one that is willing, as the parables call us to do, to reimagine itself, to go beyond itself, to worry not so much about who is in it and who isn't, but ultimately whose it is, one that doesn't seek to find a mission but to experience itself as a community formed in response to a sacred mission. The parables, that heart of Jesus' message, challenge us again and again to choose between God and all the Caesars of our lives. No wonder, through the centuries, we have found ways to rationalize those powerful parables and to hide their message. For example, today in the traditional Christian liturgical year, which I and many Unitarian Universalist Christians follow, it is a Sunday called Christ the King Sunday. Talk about hiding this radical message of Jesus. But today, in the spirit of the parables, and especially here in the free church, we can turn the tables upside down and the tradition inside out. And we can talk about the kind of king worthy of being called the Christ, one who was himself seen as powerless, roguish, shrewd, drunken, 
uh, crazed, gluttonous, uh, a criminal, dishonorable, shamed, crucified, a failure, weak, a nuisance, a dangerous, homeless man who nevertheless was at home wherever he went. And yet, just like the divinity he points to in his parables, it was precisely this kind of leader and the ones who followed in his lead who could change the world by creating community from the ground up with God's loving justice and vulnerability and radical inclusion and not from the empire down with all the empire's values of status quo and control. Today, in the twin related worlds of religious fundamentalism and consumerism, and I would include in there spiritual consumerism, it is the kind of true spiritual leadership seen in Jesus and in the parables that needs to be shown and not kept hidden anymore. This kind of change agent, a model of a leader who failed in all the ways of the world, is a great antidote, I think, and I feel in my own life, for that sin of perfectionism and an aversion to risk and conflict that is so plagues our lives and our free churches particularly. Well, if for centuries Unitarians and Universalists were the main, if not only, preservers and promoters of this radical, non-credal Jesus, then for the past 63 years, the institutional remnant of that particular sanctuary has been the Unitarian Universalist Christian Fellowship, as it said, first gathered in Boston in December of 1944. But talk about a secret. Our first gathering included some of the most prominent clergy and laity in our movement and one who would become later the first president of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And one of our officers for, on the board for many years was the great UU theologian James Luther Adams. But I was a Unitarian Universalist for almost 20 years in our churches before I knew about the UUCF. And my story continues to be replicated we are as much to blame as anyone for keeping the real message of Jesus a secret in a world overflowing with those who call him Lord, Lord, but don't do his business. UU Christians and the historic UU Christian churches should look first to the beam in our own eye before commenting on any mote in the eye of the wider Unitarian Universalist Association in this regard. But one of my answers to why the UU world has kept the message of Jesus a secret from the wider world for far too long, in fact, kept the message of ourselves a secret for far too long, is that we have been too content to think of it only as a message, as something for the mind to grasp, or as a strictly personal spiritual journey. And we are not alone in this. It is a critique for all of the so-called mainline or now old-line or sidelined Christian traditions. But especially we hyper-modernist, Enlightenment-era, print culture faith made Jesus and Christianity into an argument full of points and counterpoints. And we focused on our organizations and traditions instead of on the Spirit of God that breaks through all of that 
to become an organic relationship to be lived fully, no matter what you call yourselves. A story to give our hearts and souls and our own self-stories to. And a path that must be walked with others, particularly others who aren't like us, if it's to be called any kind of Jesus path. For that was so much a part of his ministry. In fact, this latter point is probably why, uh, in response to a question that I often get, why are, are, are the Christians in the Unitarian Universalism still in Unitarian Universalism instead of in, in another uh, uh, more uh, liberal, uh, perhaps, or mainstream uh, Christian church? Uh, for one thing, many or most of us actually came into a deeper understanding of Jesus and Christianity through and first as Unitarian Universalist. And second, it's because uh, for us to be in a community of right relationship with people who are different from us is so critical to what it means to be Christian. And Lord knows Unitarian Universalist churches you know, are a wonderful place to experience that kind of uh, community and to be engaged in the kind of healing acts that Jesus uh, calls for. So many of us, not maybe as many now as there has been, but for so many of us still who have been hurt in the name of Jesus, to be in right relationship in a church community with someone who is in relationship with you in the name of Jesus is one of the most healing and transforming mutually things that can happen. Uh, and that's a, that's a big part of why we are here and what it means, uh, which has nothing really to do with a message of Jesus. Brian McLaren writes and captures this uh, need for Jesus' message to morph into messengers in his latest, or not his latest book, but in one of his books called The Secret Message of Jesus. He writes, Can you see how the secret message of Jesus is meant not just to be heard or read, to be seen in human lives, in radically inclusive, reconciling communities, written not on pages in a book, but in the lives and hearts of friends? Can you see how the kingdom, originally hidden in parables, began to be hidden in new places, in the stories of real people and real communities across the Roman Empire and eventually around the world? Can you imagine yourself and your community of faith as a living parable, where the secret message of Jesus could be hidden today. Well, if the original parables of Jesus often left people scratching their heads, God is like what? And if Unitarian Universalism often does the same thing, church is like what? Then the ultimate living parable that, that I found may be our Unitarian Universalist Christianity. For often other Christians don't get us, Often uh, other Unitarian Universalists don't get us. And what might surprise a lot of folks is that we often don't get ourselves. And that's because we too have grown so diverse since those first years in Boston at the end of the Second World War. I, I tell people Christianity has changed in 63 years. Unitarian Universalism has changed in 63 years. And so has Unitarian Universalist Christianity. We still have in our midst classic Unitarian Christians of the Channing variety that I first encountered in that library and of the Emerson and Parker Transcendentalist Christian variety and still Trinitarian Universalist of the John Murray variety. But we also have UU Christians who follow a humanistic Jesus and don't call themselves Christians but maybe followers of Jesus. And we have those who follow Jesus in conjunction with their Buddhist or earth-centered faith or in sync with their Jewish roots. 
We have agnostics and atheists among us who still like to keep up with the latest Jesus and Paul and church stuff and in a familiar setting where they know their journeys and choices will be respected. And we have Christians who are members of the UUCF but who are in other traditions yet still find connections and resources from us that feed them in ways perhaps that their own churches don't fully do so. Especially we have found for those Christians who are gay, lesbian, bi, and transgendered. When I talk about then Unitarian Universalist Christianity as a parable, I also like to tell the stories like uh, the time I worshipped at the First Unitarian Church of Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester, Massachusetts. They, They always correct me on how to pronounce that. Where the weekly Lord's Prayer is recited, but where also the time I was there, the uh, minister, who was a theist, uh, not a Christian theist, but a theist, followed the prayer by preaching about how atheists were welcomed and needed in the church. Let's get all those together. That was a parable I call it of the free church. Or I like to talk about the time a decade ago when the president of our National Unitarian Universalist Christian Fellowship was also on the national board of the Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans. Believe me, the Jesus of the leaven and the mustard seed and the empty jar would get it. So UU Christianity... What once might have been commonplace and still in some places is commonplace. The two terms considered uh, pretty much one and the same. And it might have once been considered a contradiction. And there are places where it is still considered that today. And it might be to many a conundrum, a difficult uh, concept, uh, maybe not worth the time to explore. But for a growing number, it is now a place of convergence where the spiritual sides of one's life and one's community can be enriched. The the mystical side, the liberation justice side, the ritual seeking worship side, the thinking exploring side, the healing side, all which only seems natural since they are all found in Jesus. So finally and ultimately, let me say that the message of Jesus isn't something you can get on a bumper sticker, or in a book, or a volume of books, or in a library even. Certainly not in a sermon. But it doesn't have to be a secret either. For it is an experience of changed lives and deeper relationships and transforming communities of loving freedom. All in the face of our experience of life. And all of our past lessons and all that the experts may tell us and all of the knowledge that we have in the face of all of that, which says that all of that's really impossible. The message of Jesus somehow amazingly lost and found again and lost again and found again and handed down to us through the ages is at its essence a calling more than a concept. Personally and in our communities, we are called to be both imitators of that message and initiators of what Jesus' parables point to as God's spirit, that spirit which maketh all things new. Where you can see the holy at work in what the world considers unholy. 
the everlasting, and the ordinary. All that which otherwise slips so easily through our hands and our hearts without us knowing. And when, as we do, we hide ourselves from that calling, or we break the bonds with others that are so needed to fulfill that calling, as we will do, I am reminded that it is at such moments that the parables of Jesus promise us we can still draw closest to God and the resurrection can become real in our lives and in our world. Let's rise as able. Thank <laughs> you.